Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Lisa McLeod. Lisa, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Henry. Looking forward to this. Um, Many of us as small business owners struggle with sales and leading their sales staff, if you have one, for all kinds of different reasons, including believing for a lot of people, I found they believe that sales is all about manipulation and lies. So Lisa helps her clients take what she calls a noble purpose approach to business and to sales. And she's with me today to share her story and experiences. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Lisa McLeod is a sales expert with a focus on purpose-driven business. She's the best-selling author of the book, Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. We're going to dive into a little bit of that book today. Lisa has spent two decades, decades rather, helping leaders increase competitive differentiation and emotional engagement. Her work debunks the myth that money is the primary motivation for most employees. She developed the noble purpose philosophy after her research revealed salespeople who sell with noble purpose, who truly want to make a difference to their customers, that they outsell salespeople who focus just on targets and quotas. Lisa is a former Procter & Gamble sales leader who founded her own firm, McLeod & Moore Incorporated in 2001. And she helps leaders at organizations like Cisco and Dave & Buster's and many other corporations that you've heard of, as well as smaller organizations, helps them drive exponential revenue uh, and and growth. Lisa has keynoted in 25 different countries, has authored over 2,000 articles, and she's made appearances on the Today Show and the NBC Nightly News. And her firm's work has been featured in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and NPR. So once again, Lisa McLeod, welcome to the show. Well, after that introduction, I better come up with something good. (laughs) It better be good. (laughs) Where, where are you? Where do you live? I didn't quite get that from the research. It wasn't on your LinkedIn profile. I live outside Atlanta. These days, I I don't know that it matters because I have a home office and I can go on Zoom. (laughs) Exactly. We're all virtual. I'm just always curious as to where, where people are. So um, let's get into it. And, and well, I'll get to this point in a moment, but Based on the research, it looks like you started your career, and I want to start there, in sales. Is that right? I did. And I remember a conversation that I had at a party when I was a high school, or not a high school, a a college senior. And if you have a senior in your family, you know the question. Everyone (laughs) asks a college senior, so do you have a job yet? What's next? What do you do? Yeah. And I remember being at this party with my then boyfriend, he was a couple of years older than me and he was already out working. He became my husband. And I remember his boss's wife said, so do you have a job yet? And I said, I do. I'm going into sales. <laughs> I'm going to be a sales rep for Procter and Gamble. And I was so excited. And she said, oh, sales. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. And at the time I thought she meant like, like a firefighter or, you know, a surgeon, like, wow, that's impressive. It was a solid two years later of people saying, oh, sales. I could never do that before I realized they actually meant something completely different. (laughs) What they really meant was 
you seem like a nice person. How could you possibly be in sales? Is that what, is that what you've come to understand that they were trying to communicate? That is what they're trying to communicate because for a lot of people, and you said it in your opener, for a lot of people, sales represents talking people into something that they don't want to do. But the data tells us the people who are good at sales have a completely different sensibility. I often say sales is one of the few professions where we let the people who do it badly define the entire profession. Mm -hmm. But I got to think back then when you were saying you were going to go into sales, you weren't that enlightened in, as to how to do it differently. Why did you want to go into sales? Well, there were two reasons I wanted to go in sales. One is I had already been in sales and I worked for my college newspaper. And I was what we now refer to in our work as a true believer. I sold advertising for my college newspaper and I, the red and black at University of Georgia. And I believed, as I still do, that if you wore a business in that town and you didn't advertise in that college paper, you were crazy. Hmm. So I had this deep-rooted belief that what I was doing really mattered. And I, and I saw it, you know, put a two-for-one drink coupon on the paper and it would work. And so I thought, well, that's what sales is. And I hadn't sort of adjusted to other people's definition. And then when Procter & Gamble came recruiting and they said, you can go into sales, you can become a sales manager. I thought, well, this is perfect. This thing that I'm good at, I'll be a leader in this. And so in a lot of cases, I was right to lean into that. The challenge was, as I got into the career, I realized that was not everyone's perspective. Right. Certainly in a large corporation, that may not be exactly the, the motivation, right? It's all about moving the numbers and moving more units and all of that type of stuff and a lot more manipulation than, than maybe we might care for, yeah? Well, what happens is, most organizations, and I know you have so many entrepreneurs that listen to this, you don't start your own business just because you want to make money. You choose to start your own business because you have an idea. You have something you're excited about. And human beings are complex. Yes, you want to make money, but usually the business that you choose to go in is because you feel some personal affinity. And what the research now tells us is it's that personal affinity for whatever the opportunity you saw was, that noble purpose of helping other people solve a problem, get better at something. The more you can put that to the front and center of your business, the more effective you'll be. But the challenge is we have this belief system that says, oh no, if I want my people to be good salespeople, I've got to say, hit the number, hit the number, and teach these manipulative techniques. But the data tells a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll dive into more of that because of the challenge then is how, how do you measure those, uh, those softer kind of measures of success? But I'm sure you'll share some tips on that. So what, what then leads you to launch your own firm? And was it in 94 or 2001? I got two conflicting dates. I founded the firm in 2001 as an actual company. Got it. Prior to that, I was an independent consultant as a sales trainer. And I've, I've learned to be really honest about this. You know, a lot of people say, I had this big dream. I founded my company to change the way the industry was run. But I'm really honest. The reason I left a company, I worked for P&G for several years, went to work for a consulting firm, was the VP of sales there. And the reason I left it was two reasons. I had a baby and I worked for a jerk. 
and you wanted a, a different, more control over your life and being able to set your own schedule and, and not have that jerk to work for. That's right. That's right. And it was that one, two combo that did it for me. Yeah. I think if I'd have prior to that, I'd had a great boss. If I'd have just had a baby and worked for some work I cared about, something that was meaningful and a great boss, I would have stayed. And if I wasn't so conscious of my time, that anyone knows having a child will make you very conscious of your time, I probably would have continued working for this guy. And, I, and the reason I'm really honest about this is I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this idea that until they have a Steve Jobs vision, they can't go start their own thing. But the reality is, you know, for me, I started driven by external factors. I started and I didn't have this big dream. I just started working as a sales coach and a sales trainer, because that's what I knew. And I didn't have to do huge amounts of marketing. It wasn't until I got into it more that I started to shape my own ideas. And it wasn't until some research I did later that launched the book. But the reason I want to bring this up is if you're feeling the pull to entrepreneurship or you are an entrepreneur and you're asking yourself, oh, why did I get into this? If you don't have a big giant vision, that's okay. You don't have to, at least not today. But you do have to have that uh, incredible pain and hunger and the need to address your current situation. That was painful enough that, because your option could have been to go get another job, although it certainly might not have addressed the need to be home, especially back when we're talking about, but the pain was enough that you decided I need to make a change in my life. Well, I remember someone saying to me, if you don't control your own destiny, someone else will. And while I don't advocate entrepreneurship for everyone, because there is there are a lot of ups and downs in it, what I do know is if you feel like you have something inside of you that is being stifled in your current environment and you've given it your all maybe doing your own thing is for you. And if you are doing your own thing and you're in these times feeling exhausted and jaded and burnt out, it's probably worth remembering why you got into it in the first place. Yeah. Now, if uh, if you had answered more fully that question of what are you going to do when you were in college, would you at that point have said, I'm going to go into sales and then I'm going to start my own business someday? Not in a million years. At that point, the model of success in front of me was maybe one day I can be the VP of sales because I didn't even think about entrepreneurship at all. I thought the model for success was this very linear model and you go in and you work for a company and you do good work and you get promoted and you work your way up. And I think it was a combination of how I grew up. Uh, the times I was in, also quite candidly, being a female. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking, oh, I'll go do my own thing. I can run this show. You know, there's not a whole lot of models for that. And so it was a journey. And I think a lot of people that end up entrepreneurs, I mean, if you're the 12-year-old kid that says, I want to own my own business that one day, more power to you. But most of us kind of came to it in a backwards way. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting. What does it do for you now? What does being your own boss do for you and your family now? So the thing it does for me is it allows me to choose what's important and what's not. Because all you have, you only get one chance at your life. And I decided the other thing that happened to me when I went out, before I went out on my own was I lost my mother 
at a very early age to breast cancer. And it really caused me to think, you know, what am I doing for myself? Am I just like making money for the man? And, and I was making a lot of it for the man. But I, I really thought, you know, I want my life to matter. I want my life to make a difference. And so when you think about, for me, what it does for me now is I love the work that we do. We work with corporations all over the world. And even though I'm an entrepreneur, my passion is helping people wake up excited to go to work and wake up excited to go sell customers and to talk about what they do. And so when I get to do that on a big scale, it's very exciting for me personally and very gratifying. And I think what being an entrepreneur does for me is I can choose. I can shape the the direction of the business. There's lots of things, as any entrepreneur knows. Uh, there's lots of times I'm working when I probably wouldn't be working if I had a paycheck job. Mm -hmm. There's been financial ups and downs that there wouldn't be if I had a steady paycheck job. But the idea that you can wake up every day and decide, like that's exciting for me. Yeah, that's so much value. I, I think it ties into what we'll talk about. Just like for an employee, it's not all about money. For us as business owners and entrepreneurs, the money is important. We got to pay the bills. And sure, we, we, we want to become wealthy, whatever your definition is of that. But it's the purpose of it. It's the, the excitement of building something for ourselves, the excitement even of it's, it's about me, whether I succeed or fail, there's no other feeling like it. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't, the, the, the other thing is this idea, I think that we've gotten from Silicon Valley, and I work with a lot of Silicon Valley firms. If you've got a big idea, scaling it may be the best thing you can do for yourself and the world. But if you want to own a corner bike shop and that gives you joy, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Absolutely. Absolutely not. And we talk about that all the time on this show. That's, that's really the idea to a big extent behind this show is that we're not all going to be Apple and we don't want to, don't have to aspire to be Apple. That's not success necessarily. It's, it's what, 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 well, how does it serve you? How does it serve your lifestyle and what you want it to do for you? All right, let's dive into it, Lisa. I'd like to start by, if you would introduce what you mean, and we're going to, we're going to focus here on how it applies to selling, having a noble purpose in selling. So I thought if you could introduce what you mean by selling with noble purpose. Your noble purpose, quite simply, is how do you make a difference to your customers? And so there's two ways you can sell. The traditional way, which is thinking about your number and going in and saying, I got to close this deal. Let me tell you what I've got and trying to convince people. Or the alternative is selling with noble purpose. And the data tells us that it's more effective that when your North Star of your organization and in the hearts and minds of every one of your salespeople, including yourself, is we're here to make a difference to customers, you will sell bigger deals, you will sell stickier deals, and you'll have better customer retention. And it's the difference between a salesperson showing up saying, I got to close this versus a salesperson showing up thinking, how can I best help this customer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said. And then, of course, the challenge for us as very small business owners like myself and those people who are listening is that sometimes we're that salesperson or my, we might have one person who's helping us with sales and we, have no, we don't have that background. So we are those people, a lot of us that were back then saying, oh, I could never do that. 
right? And now you have to. Now you have to, but you dread it. You hate it. You've told yourself you're going to be bad at it because I think, but tell me what you think. We've talked about this a little bit already that I think people come to it with that preconceived notion of their idea of what a salesperson is that it's about manipulating people, that it's about lying, that it's about selling people what they don't want, that it's about forcing it. And there's very few people that like doing that. That's right. And so if you come to something thinking, I am loath to do this and I'm going to be bad at it. Well, a couple of things are going to happen. One, you're going to put it off as long as you possibly can. You're not going to do it. And when you do do it, your internal dialogue is going to show up in your interactions with customers. So the good news for entrepreneurs is not only do you not have to do it that way, but doing it that way makes you ineffective. So you can just take that off the table. And what we found is that wanting to make a difference to customers, a lot of people think, oh, it's just being nice. Oh, it just means that you're giving away the store. Nothing could be further from the truth. So I'll give you a really concrete example from an entrepreneur. And this is something anybody could do. We worked with this company um, originally out of Austin, Texas, and they did IT solutions for small businesses. And they decided that their noble purpose was we make small businesses more successful. Like nothing sexy. Okay. Just we make small businesses more successful. Although very broad in being able to measure that. Uh, so that's challenging as well. That's right. right. It yeah. is challenging. And I'll, I'm going to talk to you in a second about how to measure it. But first, we want to start with the mindset. So we make small businesses more successful. So every single person, they were franchise owners around the country. So they owned their own businesses, this IT franchise. And so when they went in, many of them were one-stop shops. So when they went in to talk to customers, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm behind on my number. I can't make payroll. And I have been there, by the way, selling with noble purpose is how I sold my way out of a bankruptcy. But, so what they did was they went in and they started thinking, if my job is to make this business more successful, knowing my lane of IT, then I need to ask questions. So what are you doing now? What would make you more successful? What's getting in your way? And so you jump very naturally into a collaborative conversation. And then the way that you can help them is revealed. And the angst that people feel is that they don't know how to start. And so what you want to do is instead of thinking, how much do I need this revenue? Oh my God, I have to go do this horrible thing. You've got subject matter expertise. All you have to do is look at that customer and say, if I look at my subject matter expertise, how could I help them? And what do I need to know? And then start with that open dialogue. That's literally the first step and everything else follows. Yeah. You know, for me, a lot of this, Lisa, is that, that the tactic that, has been around forever, the methodology right. of a consultative approach to selling. It's asking those questions up front to understand what the problems, the issues, the challenges that that client has, and then trying to offer a solution as opposed to throwing stuff up on the wall and see what sticks. Well, the consultative selling approach, you're right, has been around forever, or at least most of my adult lifetime, and we know that it works. But here's what we identified was the challenge is the consultative selling addressed the how of sales, but it never addressed the why of sales. Mm -hmm. And the why was always implicit. Use these quote techniques, some are better than others, to win the business. And so the North Star, the default, 
was always the revenue. Yeah, still win the business. Uh, you could argue it was even if it was applied the wrong way, still a form of manipulation. But um, you're saying exactly. without that higher level purpose or guidance, that why you're still going to be at the end of the day, ask whatever questions you might ask driven by the wrong things. That's right. And so one of the, one of the examples I give is most people, many entrepreneurs have children. And if you don't have any children, you've been a child. So there's, you can take a couple of different approaches to parenting. You can be super lackadaisical and do nothing in which case you'll have just a mess <laughs> or you can take a really tactical approach and make sure, and people are doing this now, I got to get three meals on the table. I got to make sure they do their Zoom calls. I have to do all these things. And that will be better than doing nothing. You will be more successful. But there's a third approach, which is the noble purpose approach, which says I need to do all these tactical things and I am doing it because I am creating future leaders. I am creating compassionate, disciplined, kind-hearted, forthright leaders. And when you put all those tactical things in the service of this bigger purpose, it animates everything you do. Right. So I'm with you on that. However, what you just touched on to play off of that is now from a business owner, I, I, you're going to, obviously I get the financial advantages, but is it going to take me longer now to generate that revenue that I need? The data tells us it will not. The data tells us, so if you compare the salesperson that goes in and is pitching, 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 what happens is either it doesn't work or they encounter all kinds of objections. And so what this will do, it's not a manipulative technique to shorten your sales cycle, but it, the net result is you do shorten your sales process because you don't get as many objections. Because you're going in saying, okay, IT, tell me about what you're doing now and how, you know, I want to try and make you more successful. Let's see if there's a way I can do that or not. So you don't waste a lot of time on things that you're never going to close. And so people like to create this false dichotomy. They say, oh, well, if I'm noble purpose, I won't make as much money. But what happens is if you're a true noble purpose seller, you actually create stickier relationships and your projects don't go out to bid as often. Is it fair to say that it might take a little longer to start paying off or do you not buy that either? It depends on how you've been selling up till now. If you've been experiencing a lot of rejection, this will probably take less time. If you're closing a lot of deals very quickly, that then go out to bid the next year or you have to drop the price, it yeah, might or, take Or you're long. spending all times at that kind of time servicing because you oversold or whatever. You oversold, yeah. Then this will take a little longer because there were some problems on the front end. Right, right. You were yeah. really tricking people to, to, to buy earlier than they wanted to. And and people aren't very easily tricked no. because we we have two things that are happening right now. One is everyone, if you're sitting in a corporate desk right now, you are an entrepreneur or you work for an entrepreneur, people are having an existential crisis. You know, I mentioned I had a bit of an existential crisis when my mother died and we've all had those moments that give us pause where you start to think, who am I and why am I here? Every employee on the planet is having that right now. Concurrently, when everything shut down and everyone went home, customers locked out any outside vendors 
And now that they're starting to let people back in, customers are having this moment where they're saying, are you here to help me or are you just trying to close me? And so those two things coming together are crucial for entrepreneurs because you've got to win the hearts and minds of your people and convince them that you're making a difference if they're going to win the hearts and minds of your customers. Yeah, that makes sense. We will continue with this episode of the How a Business podcast in just a minute. But before we do, let me ask you a few questions. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're even really actually ready to be your own boss? I'm excited to announce my new online self-paced course called Starting Your Business, Are You Ready? This course will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready, and if you're not quite ready now, what do you need to do to get there? Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears, or maybe you are not entirely sure what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of becoming your own boss. I'll take you step-by-step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. You'll end up with a clear plan and a roadmap to get you ready to launch your first small business. I am currently offering a special discount for our listeners. So visit thehowabusiness.com to get your promo code or text the word biz, B-I-Z to 31996. You want to find out more about starting your business? Are you ready? My online self-paced course. And again, to get your discount promo code, just visit thehowabusiness.com or text the word biz to 31996. Let me help you get ready to become a successful small business owner. When it comes to closing an opportunity, are there are there anything tactically that you believe should be done differently using this approach? Yes. Here is one question. So if you take nothing else away from listening to us today, I want the the people who are having to go out and sell, I would say getting to go out and sell, but that's a whole other issue. (laughs) If you're selling, take this one thing away. There is one question you can ask before you go into close of yourself or of your salespeople. We call it the game-changing question. And it's this, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? If you ask your salesperson that question and they do not have a good answer, they are not ready to close. If you ask yourself that question and you don't have a good answer, the likelihood of you closing is very small. So when you try to close a deal, whether you have a, you know, a short funnel, or you have a six-month sales process, or even longer, you should be answering the question, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? That's what creates urgency for the customer. Your ability to answer that question very specifically and also aspirationally for your customer will determine whether you close or not. It seems to me like it's about making sure that there's value identified here Otherwise, all we're going to do is negotiate on price, uh, compete on price. I also have to be able to not just answer that question with myself, but be able to have 
have had the client or customer either have realized it or helped them understand that, right? And help them answer it. Because yes. one of the things that happens, so this idea of value, it takes it to the next level because often what I find when people talk about their value proposition, it is very sterile and we will help you get faster and you'll improve on this. And it's in very sterile language. When you're selling with noble purpose, you want to be asking the question of the customer. So if we helped you get faster, what would that do for the business? What would that do for you? So that when you can, when you're answering the question, how will the customer be different? It's very unique and specific to that customer. It's not just slapping your value proposition on a slide, but the customer says, oh, you heard me. Oh, you know me. Oh, you're all in for me. Oh, okay. That's different. That's what closes business. Yeah. And the reality, of course, in part, not to diminish this, is that every client, just like every person, wants to feel like their challenges are unique. Even if we might think that they're not. They are unique to them and we got to make sure that they feel that and they believe that we can solve their unique challenges. That's right. Okay. Let's talk about measuring. Let's say it's either for myself or my team, however big or small that might be. You talk a lot about why we talked about already, why sales quotas don't work as a motivator. So how else do you measure the success of our sales efforts? So the sales revenue is one measure. The challenge is it's a lagging indicator. It tells you what happened yesterday. And it's kind of like if you're trying to coach a runner and you look at their times and you yell, go faster, go faster, go faster. They'll get a little faster, maybe. But just yelling go faster isn't going to improve their performance past a certain point. So you've got to unpack their stride, their nutrition, their conditioning. And I rarely use sports analogies. So this is, this is my one, <laughs> but <laughs> sales is like that. So you've got to look at the more leading indicators and the leading indicators are the words and beliefs. So I'm going to give you uh, two examples. The first one is during all, when you're ever, you're reviewing an opportunity, just what I said, ask your seller, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? You're going to get a qualitative read. Again, not quantitative. The, the number of calls they make and the amount of revenue they produce, that's a lagging indicator. A leading indicator is when you start asking this question, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? That tells you how you're going to be doing two or three months from now, their ability to answer that question. The second thing that you can do as a leader is you can start telling what we call customer impact stories and training your team to tell them. Because what you just said is so important that people, the customer needs to feel unique. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to humanize your customers. And so a customer impact story is a story about how your solution made a difference to an individual customer. And lest you think that this is just fluffy, we did this at Hootsuite several years ago. We taught all of these salespeople how to tell customer impact stories. We had a contest for who could tell the best ones. And once they learned, here's how we make a difference. And once they learned how to tell those stories, we increased revenue by 200% yeah. within months. Yeah, and no, I can see it. That's it's such a valuable piece that, that we often forget. 
and uh, I think sometimes maybe in part is that we we assume that everybody knows what our successes have been and how we're helping people solve these problems. But we need to share that proof and examples of how others are benefiting, how others are transforming their business or their organization because of how we've helped them or the service or product that we provide them. That's um, right. But as a I'm, leader, your job is a belief builder. That's right. That's first and foremost. Yeah. Okay. But I'm still not clear on how then at the end of my quarter, the year, whatever I measure um, along these lines. So my suggestion would be pick one thing and I'll give you some examples of one thing that some of our customers have picked. So one of our customers is Atlantic Capital Bank, and you'll see the CEOs on the homepage of our website. He was banker of the year on the cover of the American Banker, grew exponential revenue by 40%. And the one thing that they measured, so they measure all the normal things, the revenue and the profit and all the things that banks measure. For sales, the one thing that they decided to measure was referrals. Yeah, that's huge because that is the ultimate indicator. It could be it could be in different forms. It could be I can see where also I would measure renewals or yeah. um, in extensions or upgrades or whatever. It depends on what you're selling. Right. But that referral component is at the end the ultimate measure as to whether I have really provided for this customer or client. And here's the reason we measured it referrals for sales, because the renewal and all those other things those are important metrics, but they tell what it was like after you close the deal. Mm, good point, yeah. The referral tells you what was the sales process. So when they close the deal, that's when they say, how has this process been for you? How has this been different than other bankers you've dealt with? And that's all the salespeople are trained to ask that. How has this been for you? How has this been different than other banks? And then when the customer gives an answer, well, my gosh, you understood me. This particular bank, their noble purpose is we fuel prosperity. Wow, you really got into my business. It was totally different. Then when you get that answer, then the seller says, I so appreciate that. Are there other people who you think would appreciate this? Okay, so they're asking for the referral there. And then they must have a really good mechanism in place to measure and track. They have a good mechanism. And one of the guys that's quoted in Selling with Noble Purpose says, it's an imperfect metric, but we measure it. And the important thing here is for a team, there it is a team metric because we know, aka Wells Fargo, if you start putting these <laughs> metrics like cross-selling and things like that in, people just game the system. Yeah, you got to so be careful how you incent people, especially you, when monetary is the only incentive. And nobody is financially incented on referrals in this organization. What they do is they measure referrals every single week. Who got referrals this week? Why did you get them? Okay, five out of 10 customers are giving us referrals. That tells us how we're doing on our purpose. How could we improve our sales process to get even more referrals? What did the people who, who enjoyed the sales process say? And so it creates a very different narrative because what you want is you want your noble purpose we make a difference. Here's how we help customers to be as much a part of your groundwater and as clear and present as your sales targets are. Yeah, love it. All right, last couple of questions. One <laughs> is more topical and, and you, you speak to it a lot. As, uh, as you talk about sales being a leader, so I'm either the owner of the business or which mm -hmm. often is the leader or I might be the sales leader. 
especially through the times that we're going now where all, all kinds of businesses are struggling with generating revenue. Right. How do I continue to be inspirational? How do I not communicate the despair? Or maybe that is what I got to communicate. How do I help my myself and my team get through this? Well, I told you that I selling with noble purpose is how I sold my way out of a bankruptcy during the depression. Uh, the depression felt like that. The recession. My husband. Um, I had my sales consulting firm. My husband had a manufacturing company at that time. It went belly up and took all of our family finances with it. So the idea of lying awake at night with your heart pounding, wondering how you're going to pay your bills, I've been there. Yeah, I have been there. That is a reality. So there's a couple things as a leader that you can do. Uh, the first thing is a quote that I always remember. The person who can best articulate reality without shame or blame will emerge the leader. So don't think that you need to cloak this from your team. They know. If things aren't going well, they know. Your challenge is to communicate the facts. We're behind on revenue. This is a challenging year. Just name it without shame or blame. Then the next thing you want to do, if you have one single customer left, <laughs> one that you sold last year, you want to look at that customer and find the story. And instead of telling your team, oh my God, oh my God, we got to make more sales. Look at that customer. And when I talk about the customer, the story, I'm talking about the customer impact story, which is not hey, we sold them all this stuff and it was great because it was $50,000 or, hey, you know, we got the renewal. The story is, here is exactly how this customer, not the bells and whistles of what they used, but here is how it impacted them. And in Selling with Noble Purpose, we have a whole chapter on customer impact stories. You want to find those and you want to remind your team, this is how our solution is making a difference to customers. We need to find more customers to help because people need us right now. Yeah. And so instead of making the compelling case for your team about why you need revenue, which is just going to ignite their lizard brain, they're going to be pushy, they're going to be icky, you're not going to win business. Instead, you want to light up their frontal lobes by telling a customer impact story, and that will create urgency to help more customers. Yeah. That's what you want to do as a leader. I love that. I love that. I think that's very practical. Also, I think what I, I'm sure you would agree, I would add to that, Lisa, would be that you need to communicate to yourself and your team that I've got a plan. People are looking mm -hmm. to you as a leader. Yes, like you said, we're being transparent. Obviously, I can't hide from you that our revenues have gone from X to Y, and we've got a challenge to put it lightly. But what they look to us next is, are you crawled up in the corner and ready to die? Or do you have a plan of attack? And I think that's what a leader does as well. Well, one of the things to remember, we are at our most powerful when we are in the service of a cause bigger than ourselves. Human beings have two fundamental needs once we get beyond food and shelter. We want belonging and we want significance. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And we want to know that we matter. Now is the moment, if your business is struggling, now is the moment to tap into those two needs, to call yourself into something bigger because your employees need you right now, and to call your employees into something bigger because your customers need you. Now is the moment when we need the most collaborative, the most driven, the most purposeful sales teams the world has ever seen. And when you step into that moment and your people understand, 
our customers need us. We can go out and do this thing. You create the team of true believers and history is filled with examples of how small, less well-resourced team beat out the big guys simply because they believed more. That's what you have to do as a leader with your team. Yeah, love it. Perfect, perfect conclusion there to segue as we come out of the deep dive. Great stuff. Thank you, Lisa. Um, all right, uh, tell us more about, summarize for us the services that you offer uh, through McLeod and more. So I'm spending my time on three things right now. One, I'm doing a lot of keynotes virtually for leadership teams and sales kickoffs. Two, I am consulting with companies to help them find their noble purpose and jumpstart their revenue. And the third thing I'm doing is I'm putting a ton of free content on LinkedIn. So we do videos. This is totally free. Follow me on LinkedIn. You can get our videos. We have the work on purpose newsletter. So all of those things are free. And one thing we're offering for entrepreneurs, if you go to sellingwithnoblepurpose.com, we've got a short assessment that you can do to identify where you and your team stand in terms of identifying your purpose, communicating it to customers. And then there's some quick tips. It's totally free. Download it. You, so you can do this by yourself or with your team right now. Great stuff. All right. So we've been talking about a lot of the stuff that's in the concepts that are in the, the details that are in the book. Uh, again, it's called Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. Great book. Uh, other than that book, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? I'm always looking for book recommendations. So the book I'm reading right now is The Context Marketing Revolution by Matthew Sweezy. And it was recommended to me by someone else. And the subtitle is How to Motivate Buyers in the Age of Infinite Media. And I'm just getting started on it. I really like it. It's sitting on my desk right now. And the reason I like it because of this word, context, that you're not marketing into the, you know, the vast void. How, what is the context of what you're doing and how do you put context around your message? Because that's what buyers are looking for. So it was, it was very interesting to me. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that recommendation. We'll have a link to that book as well as Lisa's book on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, Lisa, we'll wrap it up. What's, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we've had about selling with a noble purpose for small business owners? You don't have to choose between making money and making a difference. Profit and purpose are connected. You can have both and you deserve both. Well said. And I, you know, a lot of good takeaways to me, so much of what you've articulated and, and this approach, it's, it's a lot about mindset. And I think that once you adjust your mindset and look at it this way, and, and you gave some really practical things like the one question about how will the customer be different? I think it then liberates you from this these apprehensions, these preconceived notions, all of this baggage that you might be bringing to sales and that, you know, infamous reply that you got in early days and that we all hear, oh, I could never do that. But all of us need to be able to sell the service and the product that we offer. But if you do it this way, then it's not the sales that you used to think it was. It's a much, my, much higher, more noble cause. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I just think for entrepreneurs, there was a reason you're doing what you're doing. 
search your heart and reclaim that reason. That's what's going to make you compelling and interesting. Agreed. Where do you want us to go again online to find out more? Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn or go to sellingwithnoblepurpose.com and you can download that assessment, figure out what you want to do next. Wonderful. Lisa, great conversation. Thanks for sharing all of these stories and details. Very inspirational, but impactful as well. I appreciate you taking the time with, to be with me today. It was my pleasure. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Lisa McLeod. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com, where you can just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.